Welcome into the Diamond Vols podcast. I'm Ben McKee, joined as always by Eric Kane. Plenty to discuss on this episode because it's been exactly a week since we last recorded. The NCAA tournament was quite crazy over the weekend. Eric and I slept very little. I was traveling, and then they immediately turned around, Tennessee baseball that is, and played Butler. And I emphasize Butler because I kept wanted, I kept wanting to call them Belmont all last night as that game was happening. And in fact, I had to delete our original post on VolQuest because I put that Tennessee was playing Belmont and not Butler. And once you publish it, the headline does not change in the link. So uh, that was fun and confusing all night long. But Tennessee beats Butler in its midweek game. And now Tennessee turns to a big, big road series against number one Ole Miss this weekend. So plenty to discuss. Eric Kane, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, man. Tennessee baseball. Um, it's It's been fun so far. Only one loss on the season. Great, great opening series in SEC play. The bats continue to shine. I mean, this is a, oh man, the larger topic. We were asking about it in the Monday chat, and we can discuss this maybe later on um, about like, you know, which team might be better than which team from last year's team to this year's team. But gosh, this lineup's got so much pop. It's got so much depth. And you're seeing that this week again, but also the pitching staff, a pair of one hitters. I mean, it's it's been fun, man, but uh, it's about to get real. It's about to get real this weekend. So um, buckle up. And uh, I think Tennessee will be ready for that challenge. It's going to get real, real quick. And before we get to Ole Miss in that series, we got to talk about this South Carolina series that Tennessee absolutely dominated the Gamecocks. 23-5 to five over the course of the three days. Uh, Tennessee's pitchers struck out 30 South Carolina batters. Uh, it's Tennessee's fourth sweep of the season. And there's nine weeks to go. And they're one away from tying the record under Tony Vitello for most sweeps in a season. Last year's team has had the most sweeps under Tony Vitello. They swept five opponents in Tennessee through one weekend of conference play is already at four, which is incredible. And again, just a dominant performance by Tennessee this weekend. They win on Friday night, eight to three. They won on Saturday afternoon at noon five to two and then on sunday absolutely shellacked carolina 10 to nothing and kane i I thought the story of the weekend were the performances of chase burns on friday night uh chase dolander on saturday and drew beam on sunday just real three really good outings uh from tennessee starting pitchers and uh, sunday the, the relief pitchers didn't really matter friday night they didn't really matter either But even on Saturday, um, coming in in a close game, Tennessee was able to get the job done. You saw Camden Sewell bounce back. So uh, South Carolina, not a very good team, in my opinion, (laughs) on top of being banged up. We kind of talked about that going into the weekend. Uh, All this weekend did was confirm that. But aside from South Carolina not being what South Carolina baseball typically is, and look, they still have a lot of talent, so not taking anything for granted. Uh, but I, I thought Chase Burns, Chase Dolander, and Drew Beam, particularly the two freshmen that started the weekend, ended the weekend, I, I thought they were the biggest storyline. Yeah, they were fantastic, and it's been what uh, it's it's been so consistent so far this season for Tennessee. The uh, the freshmen, and you know the freshmen on Friday and, and Sunday, and of course the starting pitcher overall on the weekend, Chase Burns. 
on Friday, six and two thirds, only two walks, surrenders just two hits, nine strikeouts, uh, throws 92 pitches. You look at Beam's stellar performance on Sunday. Man, he just keeps getting better and better and better. Seven and two thirds, three strikeouts, one hit, no walks, 86 pitches. Very, very uh, Maddox esque, if you will. Um, in, in that start, and I thought that was awesome. And Dolander, too. I mean, I thought he was fine on Saturday. He threw a whole lot of pitches. Of course, he's a strikeout pitcher, and so he, he works deep into counts. You know, that, that count's going to get up there a lot, but uh, he went five, seven strikeouts, allowed only three hits, one walk, and um, one run as well. I, I, I thought the bullpen wasn't heavily relied on all series long, but it was big in that Saturday game. Will Mabry came in. He gave up a run, but uh, he pitched three solid innings. Redmond Walsh came in, slammed the door shut for a safe situation. Uh, but you're right. The, the, the story is the starting pitching, and, and you know you can never have too many arms. Tennessee's got arms right now. Tennessee's going to have some options, hopefully, you know, here in the very near future to add to that arsenal. And um, first series of SEC play was on display. And um, you know Tennessee's going to have to rely on that this week and next week and for sure the rest of the way. And as has been the case all year, on top of the terrific pitching, we mentioned the starters. It was really good to see Camden Sewell bounce mm -hmm. back. Uh, Kirby was thrown in there at the end of the game. And uh, a little funkiness uh, that, that threw him off, I thought. He, he did give up three hits, gave up two runs, both unearned. And that's because the inning started with Luke Lipsius just not catching the throw at first base. And not only that error, that was, that was the only error by Tennessee in the inning, but Jordan Beck had a ball that was kind of blooped out to him that I thought he could have come up and, and made the catch on. Maybe I'm nitpicking, uh, but I, I thought Jordan Beck is a good enough athlete to where he could have come up and caught that ball. Instead, he lets it fall in front of him. You've got runners on first and second, no outs. Kirby gives up a a single or a walk, whatever it was, and, and then they were able to get some some runs off of that. So Kirby was put in a kind of an unfair situation. That inning doesn't unravel on him if if Luke Lipsius catches the first. Just I mean, it's a routine ground ball. I, I don't remember who threw it over to Luke, but whoever it was, I mean, it, it was nothing out of the ordinary. It's something that Luke does in his sleep, just catch the ball at, at first, and he just dropped it. So uh, it kind of spiraled out of control there uh, for Kirby in that inning but aside from Kirby I thought Camden was really really good and Kane as you and I talked about I think on the last pod we mentioned it maybe it was while we weren't recording and just you and I having a, a casual conversation uh, Camden hasn't necessarily looked bad of late but he hasn't looked like the Camden Sewell that started the season and it was really good to see him bounce back after Chase Burns on Friday night uh, 1.1 innings of work struck out three uh, of the five batters that he faced. And then I'm, I'm glad you brought up Will Mabry because he was terrific after Chase Dolander uh, on Saturday, three innings, three strikeouts, no walks, which is huge for him. Uh, two mm -hmm. hits, one earned run. And then Redmond Walsh came in and did Redmond Walsh things, picked up his second save of the season, uh, struck out two of the three batters he faced. And, and then on Sunday, just to, to talk about the level of pettiness from Tony Vitello was just absolutely incredible in the series finale. Drew Beam was so good, carried a perfect game in his first SEC start into the seventh inning. And the quick side note, it's pretty wild to me. I realize it's the first weekend of conference play, but Tennessee has 
number one, and number two in the SEC freshman of the year race. And probably number three with Christian Moore. And the stats for those guys are just silly. Uh, Burns and Beam, both are 4-0. and uh, Burns has given up like, I don't have the exact stats in front of me, but he's given up like two runs in 24 innings. And Beam's given up three runs in 23 innings. Just silly stats for freshmen. And boy, the future of that position looks so great. But to the level of pettiness that I had mentioned, Mark McLaughlin comes in. He looks great. And then Wyatt Evans trots out for the first hitter of the ninth inning. And I am cackling up in the press box because the backstory on Wyatt Evans, Wyatt Evans is a former South Carolina commit. He is from South Carolina. I believe he's from Greenville. And Tony Vitello swoops in, throws some scholarship money at him, more scholarship money at him than South Carolina, I guess you could say, thought he was worth. And White Evans flipped to Tennessee, and South Carolina was not happy about that. So the conspiracy theorist in me believes that that was absolutely an FU to Carolina from Tony Vitello and, and Tennessee's pitching staff. You're, you're down 10 to nothing. This has nothing to do with anything. Here's Wyatt Evans for you, the guy that you thought you were going to get. And I came into your state and stole you from him. He comes in and faces one batter and gets the out. And then on top of that, after being swept, losing 10 to nothing, that middle finger, Tony gives the other middle finger by bringing Ben Joyce in. And Ben Joyce is throwing 104 mile an hour fastballs as he gets a ground ball and then a strikeout to end the game and end the series, and I just absolutely love the pettiness from Tony Vitello because I 1,000% I believe that that's why all that happened. Just another reason why everybody hates Tennessee baseball, right? And if you're going to do stuff like that, and, you know, you, this is, again, you say conspiracy theorist, right? No one can go out there and say, oh, that was disrespect. Well, you can't prove that, right? But we all know what was going on. If you're going to do that type of stuff, you better back it up. And uh, this Tennessee baseball team, and obviously Tony Vitello can back it up. Um I, you know, that Tennessee's kind of got that mantra of being the villains, you know, last year, start of this year. Um, and it's been fun. It's been fun. But uh, yeah, you, you always got to laugh. You always got to chuckle a little bit at some pettiness like that. Again, one batter, like you said, came in, got one out. You're down 10 nothing. Then you go to the bullpen again in a 10 nothing game. You bring in a guy that can hit 104 on the gun. Okay. All right. Um, that, that, that's what we're going to do here. That's what Tennessee did on Sunday to conclude that series. So if you're a Tennessee baseball fan, you love it. If you're a fan of any other team, including South Carolina, you're probably just like, all right, let's see what you did there. <laughs> yes. And you mentioned it's one of the reasons Tennessee is not well liked within the conference. And I mean, who cares? Not that we're mentioning that people really care around here, but my point is that in addition to what you said, that's also a reason why, why Tennessee fans love Tony Vitello. Tony oh, yeah, Vitello it works, works both ways. Is, yes. There, there is not a more perfect fit for Vol Twitter and this Tennessee fan base than Tony Vitello. I, I am convinced that Tony Vitello is a, a member of Vol Twitter, and we just do not know his, his username uh, because he is uh, absolutely uh, tremendous on there. Looking at the bats over the weekend, Kaner, Evan Russell had just a terrific weekend. Three homers. He hit two in the Sunday finale. 
Tennessee continues to crush homers. Christian Moore, he got in on the action. He hit 500 on the weekend. Granted, he only had six at-bats, but still looked really good. Continues to impress. Cortland Lawson, man, he he is swinging the bat really well. Uh, he hit a, a big two-run home run. Uh, Jordan Beck, he hit 417 for the weekend, five hits and 12 at-bats. He had a homer, uh, nine total bases. Uh, Drew Gilbert comes back from the hamstring, and right from the jump, you you could tell that that hamstring was not an issue. That first or second inning on Friday night, he had to track a ball deep, deep, deep to right center field on the warning track. And I, if I remember correctly, he was even shaded towards left field, and the ball was hit deep to the right center field gap to just to the left of the scoreboard and he had to run a long ways and that hamstring looked perfectly fine and we talked about it here on the show that drew gilbert in the prior games was just being held out for precautionary reasons had it been sec play or postseason play he would have been playing but no need to play him against rhode island or in midweek games you, you know what drew gilbert is going to give you no need to push it and and he looked perfectly fine uh, guys who didn't really hit well on the weekend, uh, Jarrell Ortega, he hit 250, still, you know, decent, uh, but not the Jarrell Ortega clip that we had seen. Uh, he did hit a homer um, on the weekend. And then Luke Lipsius, he hit two homers, but he hit 182 for the weekend, uh, was two for 11, and his two hits were the two homers. Uh, so kind of a mixed bag of results there. But that's kind of also what you think that you're going to get from Luke, a guy that's not going to hit for average, but he's going to hit for power. Maybe not 182, obviously. And the lefty-on-lefty matchup, that that is worthy of a conversation at, at some point. Maybe not today, but sometime in the near future. Uh, but he hits 182, did hit the two homers. Trey Lipscomb hit a homer, uh, but he hit 167 on the weekend. He was 2 for 12. Uh, and then Jared Dickey really struggled. He was 0 for 7, and uh, he he was pinch ran for after he drew a walk, and Seth Stevenson came in and made some things happen. I, I liked that move by Tony Vitello. But that's the great thing about this lineup, Kaner. And you listen to any baseball coach at any level, the key to a successful lineup, because in baseball you're going to have guys that struggle, right? The key is to mm -hmm. not have everybody struggling at the same time, everybody being cold at the same time. You want it to be two or three guys that are going through a slump and then let the rest of your lineup kind of carry those guys while they're going through a slump. And that's what makes this Tennessee lineup so dangerous is that one through nine, anybody can be on a heater. And that was the case this weekend to where you don't even really notice that Trey Lipscomb was what I say he was. He was two for 12, hit 167. Tennessee's lineup was so good, I didn't even realize he hit 167 until I looked at the stats. At Tennessee entered Tuesday night, leading the nation with home runs of 56. The D1 uh, stat sheet I'm looking at right now has not been updated. Hit three more bombs, right? Three in Tuesday's game. So yes. up to 59. I'm not sure what Mercer's up. But, I mean, you, you've got you got a double-digit lead in terms of long balls uh, over Mercer, who's in second place in the country. So um, that's just awesome. Yeah, as good as his pitching's been, I mean, the power is is has been just as good. And I'm not going to say better because I'm still so impressed by the arms. But – um, it's been so good. And you're exactly right. Um, this is why I keep on saying lineup flexibility. This is why I keep on saying you have so many, you have an embarrassment of riches if you're Tony Botello. You have so many different options. Um, remember the beginning of the season, very beginning, it was the the young guns and it was the the newcomers that were kind of carrying both the staff, obviously, which is still the case now. Um, but the lineup as well as, as Jordan Beck and Drew Gilbert and Evan Russell kind of trying to figure it out. Then the veterans have showed up and they're doing what they always do. Um 
and then some of the newcomers took a back seat. But then Trey Lipscomb went on his absolute tear. Jared Dickey's already won twice. SEC freshman of the season. Christian Moore took a little while to get going, but he has been incredible. Cortland Lawson has begun to, to do some things. So, gosh, and Jarrell Tega has also had a little, you know, he's been he's been pretty consistent all season long so far, in my opinion, but he's definitely had some highs as well. So, to your point, you know, you're never going to be clicking all at the same time, but you have so many different options. You have so much different lineup flexibility to where um, you can do all that. Luke Lipsius, I, I think he kind of is what you mentioned. Of course, we know what, what Luke is. He's been here for quite some time. Uh, his home run on Saturday was big because it gave Tennessee a lead right off the bat. Bottom of the first inning um, on, on Saturday, gave Tennessee a lead right off the bat, and the balls never looked back. But uh, you gotta, you gotta love just the options. And um, if you're hitting, you're going to play. I think, you know, Christian Morris proved that at the beginning of the season, wasn't playing a whole lot, started hitting, can't come out of that lineup. Right. And uh, that, that, that is awesome for Tennessee to have and uh, fun for Tennessee fans to watch for sure. And the other key thing to remember about Luke is he is a great defender at yep. first. I know I discussed his error earlier when he just simply dropped the ball in the ninth inning of that Friday night game. But aside from that, I mean, he is stellar, absolutely stellar and sure-handed over there. And you, you know what you're going to get from him. Um, general thoughts on the weekend. Uh, for me, just a, a quick summary. I mean, it, it's pretty simple, pretty cut and dry. It's it, it's what took place is exactly what I thought would take place. Tennessee is a significantly better baseball team than South Carolina. They have more talent. They have more depth. They, they have better coaches better hitters, better defenders, better starting pitchers, better bullpen arms. Uh, and because of the depth and talent that Tennessee has, they're able to overcome their injuries to where old, or uh, South Carolina is not able to overcome the injuries that, that they were dealing with. So honestly, Kane, the way I would summarize it is just kind of ho-hum and, and expected. And I, I don't feel like I, I really learned anything one way or the other. And I, I think that's perfectly fine. Yeah, I would agree completely. It was not ho-hum in the sense of Rhode Island, okay? Um, Saturday was a competitive game, uh, so that was fun to watch. The scores don't really dictate Friday and Saturday, of course, or Friday and Sunday, of course. But, I mean, obviously very much more competitive than what the weekend prior was. I mean, I honestly felt like the team was just disinterested. I'm not going to say they weren't trying because they were trying, but – I, I just felt like against um, Rhode Island, they were just kind of disinterested, just kind of there, right? That was not the case with South Carolina. They were there. They put in the work, and obviously the, the results happened in both series. But um, it was just good to see. I'm, uh, I didn't learn anything. I, I'm like you. I didn't learn it. I didn't learn much of anything. Maybe that uh, you know, stock continues to rise even higher for Drew Beam. Um, man, he was incredible. He was, he was incredible on Sunday. I mean, you're talking about taking a perfect game into the – eighth inning or it, it, it's seventh, seventh inning, right? Seventh inning of an SEC contest. I don't care who you're playing right now. I, you know, at this stage of the season, that's incredible, man. And this is a guy, again, we've talked about it, had Tommy John surgery, missed a whole season uh, in high school due to COVID. I mean, he's, he's still so raw, right? And so it's, it's awesome, man. But uh, great starts. Um, you're doing this in SEC play. That's impressive. Again, I like the way the bullpen responded this weekend, though they weren't heavily relied on. They, they were in some spots. I thought that was big. And um, obviously, Tuesday was fun, too, as Tennessee rolls on, against, uh, rolls on into Oxford this weekend for a big one. Tennessee baseball is not going to be slowing down anytime soon. And the freshman class is evidence of that. Drew Beam, Chase Burns, 
Christian Moore, Blake Burke. I mean, those are the four headliners that will carry the torch after Beck moves on, after Gilbert moves on. Uh, Luke, Evan, Redman, Trey Lipscomb, looking like he's going to get drafted. These guys are going to carry the torch on into next season and, and for the next several seasons. And you also have other guys. Wyatt Evans, he, he's a guy uh, that, that's going to be a prominent pitcher for Tennessee when it's all said and done. Uh, that, that pitching staff is just loaded. Uh, you, you can even lump some of the redshirt freshmen into that class as well. Jared Dickey, he's going to be a prominent player for Tennessee long term. You mentioned that he's already been SEC Freshman of the Week twice and Mm -hmm. slumping right now, but I expect him to break out of that at some point. Charlie Taylor, a redshirt freshman behind the plate that they have high hopes for as well. Uh, So Tennessee baseball, no signs of of slowing down anytime soon. One thing I do want to add on South Carolina before we move on to Butler in the midweek game is it's important to – win those three games very important to win those three games i know it was very much ho-hum different than the rhode island ho-hum like you mentioned and tennessee should win those games maybe we didn't learn anything but with the way the sec east is with florida with vanderbilt with with the way the sec is as a whole florida vanderbilt ole miss arkansas mississippi state it's important to rack up those wins. The the ones that you should win in this league, if you want to win your division, win the league, have good seeding in the SEC tournament, you have to win the games that you should win. And credit, credit to Tennessee because they certainly did that against South Carolina this weekend. I think that was the most important aspect of the weekend is that they won the games that they should have. And if you're going to win the East again and all those other things I mentioned, you got to win those games. Yep, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I know we're going to talk about Butler here coming up, and this is a quote that came after the Butler game, but kind of on that note with Blake Burke, um, I was obviously probably, you know, in, in bed asleep getting ready because that, that game was late on Tuesday night. But what, what was the what was the quote from Tony to, to John um, in postgame interview about Blake Burke being the most talented hitter on the team? Despite being a true freshman, that's the second time this year where I've kind of just stopped and said, wow, because he had a comment. Uh, Tony Vitello on Christian Moore in preseason about how he might be the best hitter on the team despite being a, a freshman. And now that comment the other day about Blake Burke, I mean, that's that's saying an awful lot of, again, as you pointed out, about two young guys that are just going to continue uh, to carry the torch once some of these uh, these vets leave. And and those aren't even the two young guys named Chase Burns and Drew Beam. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's truly it, – it's truly insane. I mean, it just baffles me and makes my head explode when I think of all the talent on this baseball team. It is ludicrous. I mean, there's so much professional talent and future pro baseball players mm-hmm. on this roster. It's crazy. And before I get to your, your question slash statement, uh, Tony had another quote in his post game. I asked him about this freshman class and, and how good are they compared to other classes he's brought in and, and their long-term potential. And, and he talked about how in Omaha – you see guys like the ones we're talking about year in, year out. The teams that win in Omaha, they have the Blake Burks. They have the Christian Moores. They have the Chase Burns. They have the Drew Beams. And Tennessee has a lot of those players that you see in Omaha every single year. So, again, just the, the talent on this team continues to amaze me. In, in regards to what you mentioned, it was actually 
Tony on with John and Jimmy Monday. I, I think okay. Vince was was filling in, but uh, the Blake Burke got brought up somehow, and and he said that I may piss guys off in that clubhouse, but uh, Blake Burke, I, I don't know that Blake Burke might not be the most talented hitter on our team, and, and that is truly incredible when when you think that the guy out in right field is going to be a first round pick mainly because of his bat at the end of the season. Drew Gilbert's going to be a second or third round pick. Trey Lipscomb's playing himself into a second, third, fourth round pick. Uh, Cortland Lawson is, he's up to six homers after Tuesday night, hitting over 400, I believe. Uh, Christian Moore, he has seven home runs and 32 at bats and, and has kind of stolen the shine from Blake Burke. Luke Lipsius hits bomb after bomb after bomb. Evan Russell might be the most clutch hitter in Tennessee baseball history and, and is putting together his most consistent season at the plate. And of all those guys, Tony says Blake Burke, who hasn't even really gotten a chance uh, to prove so yet, that he may be the most talented bat. His quote with Christian Moore was that he sees pitches and kind of controls the strike zone better than anybody on the team. Um, but Blake Burke, the most talented hitter. And boy, did Blake Burke make Tony looks smart because Tennessee in that Butler game scores six six runs in the first inning, the starting pitcher for Butler could not throw a strike. I mean, it was the most pathetic thing I've ever seen in my life. Seth Stevenson had a bloop double in the right field. He steals third, then scores on a wild pitch. And then Butler walks four straight batters <laughs> to make it two nothing. And then RBI ground out. Blake Burke's at the plate with two runners on. And Blake Burke hits one over the scoreboard. Over the scoreboard <laughs> in right center field into the gravel parking lot. I'm glad I did not park out there. He looks like Ken Griffey Jr. on the video. If you go watch the highlight, he there it looks like Ken Griffey Jr. swing. <laughs> the, the the calm, fluid, smooth swing through the zone, kind of the way he lets go with one hand and his finish to a swing even looks Ken Griffey, Ken Griffey-esque, has a little uh, pep in his step, a little hop after the homer, like like Griffey, and kind of stood there and watched it. Swag, just absolutely incredible. One ten exit velocity off the bat, traveled four hundred and forty four feet. So shout out to Blake Burke making Tony Vitello look very smart after what he told uh, John Wilkerson uh, on his show on Monday evening. Yeah. Hey, before we go to, before you give us an old Miss preview here in a moment, I got one more thing on the weekend series. I'm sorry. I know we're at Tuesday we're now, good. but just don't let me forget. But now, uh, 13 to three, uh, that's, uh, that's what you look forward to again. You know, three more home runs on that night. Blake Burke was, uh, incredible. And, and, you know, midweeks are, I mean, midweek games are needed. They really, really are. You hate to cover them. Sometimes you hate to call them. Gosh, I've called so many midweek games um, in my day. I'm not even that old, but I used to call it Division II midweek games. And you talk about bad baseball. Woo! But you see a lot of pitchers. You see a lot of guys in that lineup. The, the games take four and a half hours, but they're needed, right? I mean, look at Tennessee in, in that win against Butler. I mean, you, you, Seacrest went three innings. You brought in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight, eight guys out of the pen. And you're sitting up there and you're covering this game, just like, what are you doing? You're trying to kill me, but it's needed, right? And how many bullet pitchers through? Less than eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven. Yeah. And you gave up 15. 13. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, Seagrass gave you another good start. He continues to be consistent in that midweek role. But again, what I'm impressed with is the guys coming out of the pen and looking good. You have one guy give up a run. That was Jake. 
um, you know, Fitzgibbons, but the rest of them, I mean, you know, Sewell looked good. Connell looked good. They pitched an inning apiece. Mabry came in and pitched two thirds, two batters. Joyce came in, did his thing. Um, you know, Walsh, McLaughlin, Evans, they all, you know, finished off the nights, give, giving up no runs. I think, Walt, yeah, Walsh gave up one hit, but um, it, it's sometimes brutal to watch, but it's needed. All those guys continue to get fine tuning and then so they'll be ready to go for the weekend series. So that's kind of what, you know, Tuesday was for me. It was take care of business, continue to do what you do, get in a lot of players in that lineup out of the pen, mission accomplished, get out of there injury free and uh, get ready to roll. Midweek games are absolutely brutal this time of year. They're, they're brutal to they start are. the year, but they are so brutal once teams get into conference play because the, the main objective, the coaches truly do not care about winning or losing that game. At this time of year, they, they only care about winning the weekend series. And so they throw out all these arms. They throw Camden Sewell for an inning. They throw Kirby for an inning. They throw Mark McLaughlin for an inning. They bring in Ben Joyce and let him get his 10 to 15 pitches. They're throwing all these guys to make sure they're ready to go for the weekend, and both teams are doing it. Butler doesn't care about losing that game. They're they're cashing a check, and then they're going to go back and try to win conference games. That's that's all coaches care about, and rightfully so this time of year. But that's why midweek games suck is because they're trying to to tee up the, the bullpen arms for the weekend, make sure they're good to go, make sure that they've gotten some work in. And then also they don't touch their best pitchers starting pitcher wise. The, 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 the best starting pitchers are not going to be pitching. Oh, well, yeah, of course. Game. Yeah. So th- that's why these got, games are miserable. I've, I've covered, a, I've covered a couple on site this year at Lindsey Nelson. One of which was my favorite. Of course it got, it got called early because of rain, but that I got so lucky covering that ETSU game because ETSU is a good program. Um, and like, it was five to four when the game got called, like that was a good game, but, uh, oh my gosh, man. Like there there are, I mean, there are some, the other one I called was, um, uh, I forgot, but it it, it lasted only three hours. I'm like, okay, this is a pretty, you know, pretty fast moving game. But yeah, last night was kind of one of those. And, and like you said, roughly, so you're not going to see, I mean, you're, Hey, you're not going to see any of your best pitches. You're you're not going to see some of your, your, your top bullpen arms usually unless they just need work and they have to get in some work. So it just kind of is what it is. Um, can I, can I go back and do my one point on, uh, uh, see on, on the, uh, South Carolina series. So I got into it, uh, a little, little debate sesh, uh, during the game on, on the game thread. And I want you to tell me what you think. I know you were watching the game, keeping tabs on it when you were getting ready for Tennessee against Michigan. I know I had to bring it up. I'm sorry, but if we're nitpicking here about how great this team's been, this team runs into so many outs. Um, we can think of a, a couple of already a couple this year, I think of some last year too, but there was a situation in Saturday's game where um, Tennessee, you know, d- d- twice Tennessee just ran, you know, ran into uh, d- to some outs here. Second inning, Jared Dickey, uh, he successfully sacrificed his Cortland Lawson over to second. Uh, Lawson is rounding second, heads up play. He noticed, you know, since the bunt was on, the third baseman came in. No one was covering third, so he just keeps rounding third, just going. He saw no one was there. It's risky. It's aggressive. He just keeps running. <clears throat> ultimately tagged out. Okay. South Carolina made a good, a good heads up play recovered. Well, they tagged him out. Um, so that, that was, that was an unforced error on the outs right there. So that was in the second inning later in the fifth you had Jordan Beck. He was caught stealing, you know, off seconds, trying to go to third and he ran into an out there again, you know, no outs in that inning too. So, you know, I'm talking about just base running blunders. Um, you know, what is it with this team? I've seen a couple of times this year. Uh, it was in that uh, ETSU game I referenced earlier. Um, it was Beck too. Beck was on third. 
one out in the inning, ground ball hits to the third baseman. Beck just takes off for home. It's like, what are you doing? Uh, what seems to be the issue with this team on the on the base pass at times? Now, I want to recognize, I asked Tony, after, or I didn't ask Tony, but Tony was asked after the game about those base running mistakes or what, what he takes in. And this is his quote. I think if you're going to make mistakes, you'd rather be aggressive. I have to say every now and then, um, I have my say every now and then, but Coach uh, Elander runs the offense, does a great job with it. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're so productive offensively. It's because of him. He has his phrase to correct those things. So I think we uh, made one mistake eye-wise. You know, Cortland Lawson plays the game hard. I think the two mistakes are kind of different. But again, if you're going to make mistakes, you'd rather be aggressive and have some conviction about you. Uh, what's your take on all that? Um, I, again, like I said, it was a mistake because ultimately it was an out for Lawson. It was a mistake, but it was a it was a heads-up aggressive play, and I understand why he did it. Um, what kind of kind of what'd you take on that? I, I wish you would have let me answer first before you gave the quote, because what Tony said was exactly what I was going to say. I, I yeah. feel the exact same way um, as as Tony does. And, and what he said was what was going through my mind when you were laying everything out. I absolutely love Cortland Lawson trying to, to take third. In fact, I don't think it was a mistake. I think it would have been a mistake not to try to get to third. And yeah. that's why you see so many of these base running blunders with this team, you also saw it last year. They're taught to be aggressive. So they're mm -hmm. going to continue to be aggressive. It's going to pay off at times. It's going to hurt them at times. Uh, the, the ones that bother me are like the, the play with Beck uh, that you mentioned where er, earlier in the year, the Texas game where he's at third and, and the balls, I mean, he's running on contact no matter what. Those yeah. bother me, but that's what they're taught to do. Un unless the infield is in, they're running on contact. They want to put pressure on the defense. They want to be aggressive, put pressure on the defense. They're taught to do that. So uh, I, I don't personally, and look, I'm not one of the highest paid SEC baseball coaches <laughs> uh, there, there is. So take what I have to say with a grain of salt, but I, I feel like I know baseball pretty well, X's and O's wise. It's, it's a sport that I know the best. So I, I don't know that I always believe in, in running on contact no matter what. I, I don't necessarily like that. I, I believe there's times where you absolutely should. And then there's times where you shouldn't just automatically run on contact. If there's a runner on third and less than two outs, like I, I don't think that the runner on third should be running on contact if it's hit right at the third baseman. I, I think there are instances where you need to see the ball through the infield or uh, again, if if you're on third, less than two outs, and the infield is not in, and it's hit to the second baseman, then obviously you're running on, on contact, and you need to have some awareness while you're on the bases as a base runner. And if it's hit right at the third baseman, like the, the likelihood of you scoring solely depends on whether the third baseman makes a bad throw. So no. um, I, I don't necessarily buy into to running on contact at all times regardless of the situation again the only time they don't automatically run on contact is when the infield is in obviously that makes sense see it through the infield when the infield is in um, but that's why you see some aggressive base running mistakes is because they're, they're taught to be aggressive and I like it uh, the the Jordan Beck one where he's on third I agree with those being mistakes but like the Cortland Lawson one again I don't even really think it was a mistake I think it's a mistake if you don't try to get the third and then I thought the one with Beck at second where he got picked off I just kind of thought it was uh more unfortunate than anything he was trying to be aggressive well he must have thought he saw something that Will Sanders was doing on the mound 
to where he thought he could catch Will Sanders being lackadaisical and, and catch him sleeping and take third. And I, I think you just kind of kind of tip your hat to Will Sanders in that moment and say, hey, you got me. Uh, so if they're aggressive based running mistakes, I don't mind them. And you'll again, you'll continue to see those because they're taught to be aggressive. I can live with the loss in play because, again, I thought it was a heads up play. And, and you're right. I mean, you, you want I mean, this is a, an aggressive base running team. It always has been under Tony. I can live with that one. The Beck one when he's at second and the pitcher goes to third and gets him out. I mean, yeah, a runner in scoring position, nobody out. Right. And it's a close ball game at the time like that. That that is when it hurts. I mean, that's when it really, really hurts you. So it's give and take. Right. I mean, if you're going to be that aggressive on the base path, sometimes you're going to be rewarded. And that's kind of what Tony said. You're going to be awarded. Sometimes uh, it's going to get you. And it, it got him a couple of times on Saturday. So I just want to bring that up. I know that there was a, a lot of conversation about it on the board. Uh, that, you know, some people were for it. Some people were against it. Um, and so I, I just thought it was obviously, you know, worth mentioning here on this pod. Yeah. And the Jordan Beck one is more, in my opinion, it's more reactionary and, and in hindsight, like if he takes third, because Will Sanders is sleeping, then everybody is tipping the hat to Jordan Beck for for recognizing something that Will Sanders was doing and taking a fly ball or a fly ball brings you in, a ground ball to the right side of the infield brings you in. I right. mean, yeah, right. But you could also make the case that hey, you stay at second. Jordan Beck is athletic and fast enough to where a single through the infield also scores Jordan Beck. Yeah. So I, I that's why I don't mind that one as much. It's more 50-50, like, yeah, he ran himself into an out. That's that's frustrating, no doubt about it. But if he can explain to me, like, hey, I saw Will Sanders doing this. I thought he wasn't paying attention to me. I don't mind him being aggressive, especially since they were leading. It's a little bit different also depending on the score of the game and, and inning and outs and so on and so forth. So I didn't mind those two. But th- those are the ones that, that you mentioned uh, definitely are – annoying at times but i think you'll continue to see them just because they're taught mm-hmm. to be aggressive and in a way i appreciate that and and like that um but moving on to oh we'll put a bow on on the butler game uh blake burke stood out <laughs> he was tremendous uh you mentioned all the pitchers everything was kind of ho-hum xander wasn't as efficient as he has been in his last couple of midweek starts only lasted three innings but I mean, it, it's fine. He was fine. Uh, he'll he'll be fine. Pitchers and hitters, they're they're gonna have bad games. It, it's part of baseball, and it, and it wasn't a bad game. It just wasn't. And it's different too. That, yeah, like when you're when you're pitching with a nine run lead or an eight run lead, it, it's kind of different. Not that yes. you, you know, lay out the gas a little bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're you're more. Yeah, you're just gonna throw more. Um, you know, in, in the zone and everything. So, um, and yeah, I would agree. a couple of those up. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't bad, but, but definitely not the secrets we've seen the last couple of midweek starts for sure. Give up six and only three innings. But again, yeah, Nate run nine run lead at the time. It's kind of kind of hard to argue. Yes. So Blake Burke impressed me. Uh, Cortland Lawson, he hit a three run home run as well. Uh, and his was, was a nice home run shot. Jarrell Ortega really got into one. He hit one 420 feet. So those were the three home runs. And uh, it, it was very much a ho-hum performance, as we like to say here on the Diamond Vols podcast. Looking at Ole Miss, Kaner, uh, Tennessee ranked number one in some polls. Perfect game has Tennessee at number one. Collegiate Baseball has them at number two. Uh, the National Collegiate Baseball Writers Association has them at three. D1 Baseball, 
the coaches poll have them at five. Baseball America has Tennessee at seven. And, and Ole Miss is kind of in a similar situation to where they're w- scattered within the top five across the six poles. I know there's so many poles in college baseball, and, and it's annoying. As I've always said, I go by D1 baseball just because I feel like they cover the sport the best. So uh, I will continue to stick to my method that I have for the past several years. Uh, but according to D1 baseball, it's, it's going to be number one Ole Miss, number five Tennessee, in Oxford this weekend, game one on Friday night, sold out, 7.30 p.m., first pitch. Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern, first pitch, sold out. It's just going to be a raucous, crazy, awesome college baseball environment. And before we dive into it, Kaner, I'm just – I'm super excited about this one. You, you've got Vanderbilt next week as well. Uh, on the road, that'll be another top five matchup, uh, another really intense environment, more intense than this weekend because Tennessee and Vanderbilt do not like each other. But I think this is a great opportunity for Tennessee, which leads me into a bigger question, a, a bigger conversation. Aside from catcher, I, I don't really see any weaknesses on this Tennessee baseball team, even like the base running situation like i i wouldn't that's classify. nitpicking that's yes. nitpicking that's not a consistent it's just a yes. nitpick yeah and yeah. it's a fair conversation to have i i don't i don't blame you at all for bringing up the conversation but mm-hmm. like you said that that's not it's not a big enough issue to where you you circle that as a weakness on this baseball team hitting is not a weakness fielding is not a weakness the starting rotation not a weakness the bullpen not a weakness talent not a weakness depth isn't either catching i i don't classify catching as a a weakness per se but it's definitely not a strength uh some people are are freaking out about the catcher's position more than i think they should and i don't think people are giving uh tony vitello or not tony vitello but i don't think they're giving evan russell enough credit for the job that he is doing behind the plate I think he is doing a much better job than I anticipated. And as I have maintained all along, he's not Yadier Molina behind the plate, but he's certainly not – he's not a bad defensive catcher. And I don't understand why people can't see this. Is he going to throw everybody out? Absolutely not. But he has done well receiving pitches. He's done well blocking balls in the dirt for the most part. He has great rapport with the pitchers, especially a young starting rotation at the moment. He he provides great leadership, and he is the best option for Tennessee at catcher right now. Charlie Taylor may one day down the road be the best option, and he will be the best option. Charlie Taylor will be a better catcher than Evan Russell at some point, but he's not right now. And Tuesday night in the game thread, I mean, people had me losing my mind and, and making me think that I was crazy and, and second-guessing everything that I've ever known about baseball to, to the point where I, I texted multiple people who have been associated with the baseball program, are associated with the baseball program, and I said, am I being crazy with this whole Evan Russell stuff? And as has been the case throughout fall ball, throughout the winter, the beginning of the season – when Baylor stole six bases off of Chase Dolander in Houston, when I checked back in, 
the constant theme is like, no, Evan is doing a tremendous job. He's who we have the most faith in right now. And again, he's doing a terrific job. That conversation is annoying me. So if you want to nitpick a weakness, going back to before I got off on my tangent, I don't consider it a weakness, but I also certainly understand it's not necessarily a strength either. If you had to pick a weakness, I guess you could circle the catching position. But my point is this baseball team right now doesn't have any glaring weaknesses. And we are going to find out this weekend against Ole Miss, is Tennessee as legit as we think that they are? Or do they perceive to not have any weaknesses because they haven't really played anybody to this point? Yeah, yeah, that, that's something good to uh, to figure out, certainly the next two weekends, absolutely. Um, and one more note on yours, too, and this is a conversation for another podcast, but I, I couldn't agree more with the, with the Evan Russell situation. Plus, I mean, it, you, these pitchers have got to be so much quicker coming to play. Dolander, in my opinion, is, is never going to the bullpen, and I've heard you say this countless times, too. First of all, he's your SEC strikeout leader right now. I mean, he's he, he's giving you good stuff. Okay, it's not been great. The other the two freshmen have outpitched him, in my opinion, but he hasn't been bad. But he is so freaking slow to the plate, so slow. You cannot. Again, you said this too, so this is kind of from both of us here. You cannot bring him into uh, into the ball game out of the bullpen in a high leverage situation with men on base. You just can't. You absolutely cannot. So. You know, when Tennessee gets some help back with the arms and the arms department, you start sitting down saying, okay, what's it look like moving forward? That's not going to happen, in my opinion. Um, and, and that's not just Dolander. There's there's a couple other ones as well. I mean, overall, it's not just Russell. It's, 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 it, you got to manage the base runners. It's the battery for a reason. And sure, he can be better. I mean, everybody can be better, right? But um, it's certainly not just on the catcher, although it just looks like it's all on the catcher. But to your point about, you know, has Tennessee not played anybody? Um, is Tennessee this good? All this type of stuff. I don't know, man. We're, we're going to figure it out. I love Tennessee showing uh, in, in Houston. Sure, you dropped game one against Texas, but the way you responded against Baylor, the way you finished things off against Oklahoma, that was a whole lot of fun. I like the way Tennessee looked against South Carolina. Um, you look at the SEC team standings, man, and, I mean, you know, anything offensively, it is Tennessee at the top, anything offensively, and a lot of things – uh, you know, pitching wise as well, Tennessee's at the top. So that won't remain the case the entire time throughout SEC play. It just won't. I mean, Tennessee's not a super team, in my opinion, um, a very good team and a team that's capable of doing a lot in the postseason. But uh, yeah, I'm excited to figure it out, right? Because I mean, Ole Miss is a really, really good team. It's a good offensive team. I mentioned Tennessee's at the top pretty much in everything team average, you know, team RBI, you know, team runs, slugging, OPS, all that type of stuff. Ole Miss is. You know, if not seconds, right there around third, and, and consistently around the board too. They're good. You know, they're a better hitting team, I would say, than pitching team. But um, it's a really, really good team, and so I, I think it's going to be a really uh, a nice. Uh, what's the phrase we talk about? Uh, you know, a measuring stick type series to see how good you really are. I go into this game or this weekend thinking that Tennessee is one of the three best national title contenders. That, that's what I go into this weekend thinking, but also having the thought in the back of my mind of there being a little bit of realization that maybe the, the schedule has propped up Tennessee more than what we think that they are. Look, regardless of the schedule to this point, Tennessee is still a great baseball team. What Kane and I are discussing is the difference in the best team in the country 
Tennessee being the best team in the country and Tennessee being the fifth best team in the country or the tenth best team. Like Tennessee is is a threat to make it to Omaha, whether they win the next two weekends or not. So they're going to be a good team regardless, but how good are they? And the other thing that I've kind of heard mentioned is, is Tennessee peaking too soon? Are, are they playing their best baseball of the year too early? We won't know that un, until the end of the year and we look back on the year, but that could certainly be possible. Hopefully Tennessee's not playing its best baseball right out of the gates. I, I wouldn't think so. Uh, especially when you consider that they're going to get Blake Tidwell back at some point. They're going to get Seth Halverson at some point. And there are some room for guys to improve and, and continue to get better and continue to sort out things within the lineup. But th- this is going to be a, a big measuring stick to see just how great this Tennessee baseball team is. I do think that this Tennessee baseball team is great, but I think this weekend could prove, and next weekend against Vanderbilt as well, that they're the best team in the country. I I truly believe that because I actually think that Tennessee, Ole Miss, and Vandy are the three best teams in the country. And funny enough, Tennessee plays the other two in that trio the next two weeks on the road. So something to consider (laughs) there. And I look, even looking through, and I'll get into Ole Miss here after you give your thoughts, but even looking at Ole Miss on paper, Looking at Ole Miss on paper, I mean, I, I see more strengths with, with Tennessee than I do, I do too. Ole Miss. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do too. Again, I, I think all the way around, I mean, obviously we've, we've seen every single Tennessee game this year, but all the way around, I think this Tennessee team is more balanced. I think it's more rounded in terms of the arms, in terms of lineup than on paper uh, an Ole Miss team. And we're, we'll figure it out this weekend. Of course, we're going to watch a, a lot of Ole Miss baseball this weekend. Shock about opportunity. I mean, yeah, you're exactly right. It's a it's a measuring stick type series. You know, how good are you? We said that about going to Houston as well, about taking on Texas. You lost that game. You responded well. These next two series on the road against national title contenders, you're going to find out exactly how good you are. So, you know, here in two weeks, really, and we'll reevaluate after the Ole Miss series, of course. But here in two weeks, we can be saying here, saying, okay, Tennessee – realistically can go back to Omaha and win the whole dang thing this year. Or it can say Tennessee's a talented team, but if it doesn't correct this, 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 and this, then I don't think we, we should be having that conversation right now, despite Tennessee still being a good team. So next two weekends, buckle up. You know, we're gonna we're gonna figure a lot out about this team. And then we won't have to rely on, okay, well the easy schedule might be propping up the stats or, you know, but Tennessee hasn't played uh, you know, a good team for a three game stretch. We won't have to say that anymore because obviously that's about the change here in the next two weeks. And I meant to say this a moment ago, but I don't think the schedule has been as soft as people are making it out to be. I I think people are too caught up on Iona and Rhode Island. Georgia Southern, from what I saw on on the GQ last night, is 13-6. and And if you take the the three games against Tennessee out, that's a 13-3 and baseball team in Georgia Southern that beat Georgia. So Georgia Southern's no slouch. That that was a legitimate baseball program. We talked about that way back when. Houston, legitimate competition. Oklahoma, Baylor, slightly above 500 teams, so, so they're no Texas. Uh, but they're still really talented teams who are capable of, of beating Tennessee. Same with South Carolina. And Tennessee's scheduling is on par with anybody else in the league. I, I think people are putting way too much weight emphasis on Rhode Island 
and Iona. That that happens everywhere, and it happens every year. Uh, also with with Tennessee baseball, it's just Tennessee baseball is so good now that it, it even it's glaring. <laughs> yes, it, it's even more glaring than it has been in the past. Like Vanderbilt lost its opening weekend series to Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, a national title contender, one of the best teams in the country, top five, top ten team. Vandy lost their opening series at home to Oklahoma State, and they haven't lost since. You know why they haven't lost since? Because they've played a bunch of Ionas in Rhode Islands. That That's why. They have not played anybody. They played one, one team, Michigan, in a midweek game. They beat Michigan. That's a nice win. But aside from that, Tennessee's schedule has been better than Vanderbilt's schedule. So, I, I, again, I, I don't think the schedule is as soft as people are making it out to be. But to show our work on Ole Miss Kaner, uh, I've got three things that I, I really want to hit on when scouting Ole Miss. And, again, on paper, I don't cover Ole Miss day-to-day, but just my takeaways from looking at Ole Miss on paper and, and knowing what I know about Tennessee. So I have three things that I want to point out when, when looking at Ole Miss and in the matchup between Tennessee and the Rebels. Uh, first off, I noticed in their game notes, they do not want to be called Mississippi. They, they, they have a, a list of names that they want to be called, and it says Mississippi, and it has a big X on it. So, <laughs> so Tennessee at Mississippi this weekend. Yes, Tennessee at Mississippi <laughs> this weekend. Let, let's all refer to Ole Miss as <laughs> Mississippi. Uh, but, look, I understand. If I lived in Mississippi, I wouldn't want to be called Mississippi either. Uh, I, I've never heard anybody, to go a little Joakim Noah on folks, I've never heard anybody say they're going to Mississippi for vacation. So I'm, I'm sorry to all our Mississippi Vol fans out there who are listening, but uh, I, I have no desire to, to ever spend uh, an extended period of time in the state of Mississippi. I know Biloxi has some casinos and, and whatnot. They, they've got the Biloxi Shuckers down there who moved from Huntsville. I was a bat boy for the Huntsville Stars in high school and fresh out of high school, and they moved from Huntsville to Biloxi to become the Shuckers. Um, but I don't know. Mississippi State in the middle of nowhere. Stark, Oxford. I mean, it's Vegas. a nice college town, but outside of Ole Miss, what is there to do in Oxford? Uh, and there's a little bit of Memphis, South Haven in, in Mississippi. So I, I apologize to my, my Mississippi Vol fans who are listening. We appreciate your ears, but I can understand why somebody in Mississippi would not want to be referred to as Mississippi. I mean, honestly, Knoxville, as far as the SEC landscape, real quick, sidebar, I mean, we're blessed to be living and covering a team in Knoxville because they're, I mean, it's a great, great place to live. Nashville would obviously be a great place to live. College Towns, Athens is really cool, but Auburn's really cool. I liked Auburn. Yeah. But I mean, a lot of other, you know, Gainesville SEC towns is a dump. Yeah. Gainesville's awful. I'm, I'm good on Tuscaloosa. Um, I'm good on Kentucky. It's like Columbia, Missouri. You know the you know the, oh the my worst gosh. one. The worst one's but, Columbia, South Carolina. Yeah. I'd rather be there though than Missouri, to be completely honest. <laughs> I don't want to be in either one. True, but you can go to the beach a lot quicker from, from Columbia, South Carolina than Columbia, Missouri. I mean, just trash. But anyway, go ahead. I, I haven't heard any good things about Baton Rouge either. Most of these college towns, except like Athens and Knoxville and Auburn and Nashville. and Nashville, if you want to include Nashville and uh, the, the Villanova Commodores, but uh, that trash logo. Like, what are you doing? You look, you took Virginia's V 
you took Valpo's V, you took Villanova's V, you just stole everybody else's logo. Your logo was unique as is. Dude, why, why they got you... rid of their they got rid of their SIDs a few years ago. So when they did that, I'm just like, okay, so you're not gonna take sports seriously, and you're just gonna be open about it. So okay, they they do not make smart athletic decisions because nope. it it's not a priority. Is... It's why they suck. Exactly. But okay. aside from that tangent and me not wanting to live in Mississippi and be in Mississippi outside of these three baseball games this weekend, I'll start with the rotation. The the rotation is not what I thought it was, Kaner. And and even their best pitcher returning is not off to a a good start this year. Derek Diamond, uh, a righty who is a junior, uh, one of the top draft prospects in the SEC coming into the season. Uh, he has a 5.32 ERA and five starts, 24 strikeouts in 22 innings, but nine walks, 18 hits, and has given up 13 earned runs. So their, their best returning pitcher has not pitched all that well. He's likely to start on Saturday. Now, their transfer that they got from Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, who will likely start on Friday, he's a lefty. He's been really good for them. He was really good at A&M, Corpus Christi last year and then this year so far in 22 innings he's 2 and 0 with a 2.78 ERA although i do find it interesting opponents are hitting 256 off of him which is which is pretty high for a pitcher you'd like to see yeah. it lower than 256 uh, he's given up 22 hits so uh, just based off the stats seems like he does allow runners on base and then once they do get on base he does a good job of of pitching out of jams but the big thing that i'm circling with the rotation, and if you couldn't tell, very underwhelmed with Friday and and Saturday starters for Ole Miss. But on Sunday, their their Sunday starter, their, their game three starter is really in question. Uh, their original Sunday starter, Drew McDaniel, uh, came out of the gate struggling a couple of weeks ago against UCF. He only pitched two point one innings, gave up three hits, gave up two walks. Uh, and he has not started since. And since that point, Jack Daughtery, uh, was, who was one of the first people preseason that Ole Miss and people who cover that baseball program, they mentioned him as one of the top arms out of the bullpen, which they claim that bullpen to be much deeper, but I, I don't see it on paper. Uh, but Jack Daughtery, he, he's kind of taken over that role for that Sunday starter. Uh, he got the the baseball on, in a double header two weeks ago before conference play against Oral Roberts, and, and he did not pitch well, but it's believed that he did not pitch well because he had taken two days off prior to starting in that double header because he had been experiencing some tightness. And, and again, he did not pitch well because of those two days off due to tightness. And then he came back against Auburn this past Saturday because they played Thursday, Friday, and Saturday uh, this past weekend. Ole Miss and Auburn did. Uh, Daughtery comes back on Saturday in game three and pitched much better. Uh, he did give up seven hits and three walks, not impressive at all over five innings, uh, but he worked out of multiple jams. He stranded eight runners on base. He had seven strikeouts. Uh, so I'm not, <laughs> I'm, I'm not all that impressed by Ole Miss's pitching rotation. And I, I think Tennessee can really, really go to town on this, on this, pitching staff because you look at the bullpen and they don't have any guys that just stand out either. And they had a really tough weekend against Auburn. Um, Derek Diamond, the, the guy that I mentioned, who's going to start in game two, uh, he, he was not good 
and the bullpen gave up 14 runs on the weekend. Eight of those did come from one guy in Drew McDaniel, uh, but I, I'm not impressed with the pitching rotation. So to look at it holistically, I think it's going to come down to Chase Burns and, and Drew Beam. How do the freshmen pitch against the best lineup they will face to this point? Because the lineup for Ole Miss is not an issue. Kevin Graham, one of their best hitters, if not their best hitter, uh, is out due to injury, which is unfortunate for them. He plays infield. He plays outfield. Uh, he fractured his scapoid bone, whatever that is, in his wrist and underwent surgery on March 9th. Uh, he had a, a pin placed in his wrist, and, and he's out for four weeks. So he's going to be out this weekend. Uh, before his injury, he was hitting 308. He had four home runs and a team high. 17 RBIs, uh, so he will not be playing, but that lineup is still loaded. Shortstop Jacob Gonzalez is an absolute stud. He was preseason uh, first-team All-SEC. Uh, their second baseman, Peyton, uh, I don't I don't know how to say his last name, Chattanooga, I don't know. <laughs> He's second-team uh, All-SEC in, in the preseason. Uh, Mike Elko who has been there forever, and all he does is hit bombs. If, if you remember, he's the Tim. one who was hitting – homers uh yes tim elko not, not mike not, elko. not not the, not the defensive coach. yeah not not the former uh was it a&m defense coordinator yeah a&m yeah i even wrote down mike elko whoops uh but <laughs> elko was was hitting bombs on a torn acl last year hayden dunhurst he's one of the best catchers in the country uh tj mccants in right field although tj mccants is dealing with a, a hamstring injury and he had to come out against auburn he he's their three-hole hitter so that's something to watch. He kind of flips between three and five, actually, with Justin Bench, their center fielder. So my point is that this, this lineup is loaded. The pitching staff on paper is not impressive. I think Tennessee is going to hit. I would be surprised if Tennessee does not hit and put up runs. So if Chase Burns, Chase Dolander, Drew Beam going up against one of the best lineups in the country, the best lineup that they have faced to this point in the season – if they pitch well, I think Tennessee wins this series. I do too. Um, this lineup for sure is just really, really impressive and not not breaking any news here. They've got, let's see, of the normal starters, guys who have started at least 10 games, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players who are hitting above 286. I know in the college realm, 286, you know, whatever, but I'm talking like that. That's that's the low end of the spectrum. I mean, you got McCann's 357. Bench 328, Alderman 318, Buford 311, Graham, as you mentioned, 308, Leatherwood 300. I mean, those guys are all over 300. They've all started 19, 19, 13, 14, 10 games. I mean, that that is, that is really, really good. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think Tennessee's lineup will have a chance to torch Ole Miss pitching. I really do. From what I've seen for Tennessee's lineup this year, I understand the numbers aren't too great for Ole Miss. I know that they're a lot better than what the numbers say on paper. I think Tennessee's lineup has a chance to torch that pitching staff and that bullpen, but it's going to be an awesome, awesome battle to watch how Chase Burns, Drew Beam, Dolander, how they get to work with this lineup because top to bottom, much like Tennessee's, there's a lot of flexibility and there's a lot of guys that can just straight hit. Um, and that is evident on paper by just viewing the stat sheet. Just emphasizing how well Ole Miss has been offensively this year. Uh, they've scored 185 runs, which is 11th most in the country and second most in the SEC. Uh, their 9.7 runs per game ranks ninth in college baseball. 
they've hit the 15th most home runs, 14th best on base percentage, uh, ninth best in scoring, as, as I mentioned, in a couple of different ways. Uh, and then their slugging percentage is eighth best in the country. So uh, this lineup can really hit. And it's going to come down to Tennessee's pitching and whether they win the series or not. And it's not just the starters either, Kane. I mean, it's going to look come down to the bullpen. Camden Sewell has to be Camden Sewell. Kirby Connell, he's going to have to pitch well. Redmond Walsh, uh, whoever is coming out of the bullpen, they're, they're going to inherit some jams that they haven't really inherited this year. I, I think that's something to, to monitor going forward as well. How do pitchers – how do – Tennessee's relievers do when coming in to a jam or are they able to work out of the jam because they haven't really dealt with that this year so it's not just on the starters obviously the starters will set the tone set the tempo uh, but Tennessee's relievers are really going to have to have an, a, a big weekend this weekend bro you want to hear something cool maybe all right so you might have already known this and I know everything. anybody that knows this I'm sorry I just figured it out I can't stop just grinning in their ear so I saw the name Taiwan Malone when I'm sitting here looking at the Ole Miss stats, and I'm like, I know that name. You just Where do I know that, that name? I just now, literally just now. I clicked on his thing. I said, Oh, six four three fifteen. That son of a gun plays football. I remember he was a part of the defensive lineman. I mean, goodness gracious, yeah. Like he had a he had a really good year for Ole Miss this best year. He's a bench player. He's sitting six hundred though. I mean, he's not had many at bats. I think he's only had what? Let's see. He's played in four games. He's three for five on the season. Does have a home run. Uh, that is freaking awesome. So I saw the name Taiwan Malone. I'm like, I know that name. I know that name. And the fact that he's doing a little dual sport action, that's, that's kind of cool. Hopefully yeah, we'll get go, to see him. Go look up his home run right now as, as I speak, because it was an absolute bomb. And and this is going to irritate the, uh, the Tennessee baseball fans. He wanted to come play for Tony Vitello, but he did not want to play for Jeremy Pruitt. Fair. <laughs> so uh it. <laughs> if it were strictly baseball he there's, there's a good chance he'd be in knoxville right now or, or even if tennessee had a competent football coach at the time he'd be playing defensive line which is a area of need for the football team and he'd be slugging <laughs> on this baseball team dude he is just a monster in a baseball He's frank uniform. thomas <laughs> oh my gosh i i mean why does he get to play more? He's only he. I mean, he's only gotten five abs on the season. Why well, does he because, not get to play more? Because DH in first base has uh, Tim Elko and also Kevin Graham when he's healthy. I just think more pinch hit opportunities. Anyway, I just I I did not know that was a thing. Maybe I should have. I apologize, but I saw Malone, Taiwan Malone. I'm like, I know that name because I know everything about Tennessee's opponents before they play them. It's like, I know that name, and I went and looked up. I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy played D-line. So there we go. <laughs> yep. But going to come Small down to pitching uh, this weekend, Eric. If Tennessee pitches well, I think they win the series. Although the one thing I am interested to see is how they handle the atmosphere. Mentioned it off the top. It's a sellout. Game one sold out. Game two sold out. I would imagine game three on Sunday will be sold out. And, and even if it's not sold out, it, it'll still be a packed house. So how, how does Tennessee handle this environment? I think they'll be perfectly fine. I yeah. think they'll feed off the environment. You, you're telling me Drew Gilbert or Evan Russell is going to wilt in the moment? No, that, that's not going to happen. I even think a guy like Drew Beam is going to be perfectly fine. He, he played quarterback in high school. Th this isn't going to phase him uh, as well as, 
as well as others. So that is, I'm honestly more worried about the the atmosphere than I am Tennessee playing good baseball. The the, the Ole Miss lineup worries me. The second thing that worries yeah. me is the the atmosphere and how Tennessee handles it. Just because we have not seen them in this true of a a road game atmosphere. Those are the two things that worry me the most this weekend. Yeah, I think so. I think those are both fair. That lineup is <clears throat> certainly, uh, certainly really, really good. A great opportunity. I mean, the way Tennessee's pitching right now, I'm just, I'm excited. Um, you know, I, I think Tennessee will fare well, but I'm, I know it'll be a battle, so I'm really, really excited. Then the bullpen comes into play as well. So, uh, really looking forward to watching those matchups all weekend long. But also the environment. That yeah, you're right. This is the first true environment, one of the better environments, of course, to to, to play at in terms of. Uh, just uh, the the ruckus the the ruckus showing from the from the home crowd. I think playing in Houston helps a little bit. Now it's different. Again, that was not true road games, but being in that situation on the road in that stadium in front of tons of fans, it was different. But I think it might help prepare some of these younger guys a little bit more for uh, walking into uh, to Old Miss. But yeah, I mean, ten, you know, Tennessee's veterans, Tennessee's veterans that lineup: Bag, Gilbert, Russell. Lipscomb. I mean, they they they've been here. They've they've seen that. They they've been a part. I mean, they played in College World Series. So, um, I don't think it'll be too much of a storyline, but it would be a concern if we're, if we're you know picking out a couple as well. I agree with you. I think Houston will help Tennessee, but Houston is going to be nothing like this weekend. This weekend, oh, yeah. completely different. Is going to be absolute nuts for those who are new to the SEC baseball scene. At Ole Miss, at their stadium, they don't have outfield seating. There will be people in the outfield, but it is not bona fide outfield seating. In left field, you you buy a ticket or whatever, and, and you bring a lawn chair, and they go a billion rows deep out in left field. You get over to right field, and that's the student section that does the same thing. From the batter's eye all the way to the foul pole, it is students just lined up for for what seems like an eternity and when Ole Miss hits a homer whatever their beverage is at that (laughs) moment in time they all throw it up into the air and it's a it's a really Mm -hmm. cool scene the the place goes nuts so Jordan Beck is going to have a fun time out there in right field on on Friday and Saturday night Um, and on top of that outfield scenario situation scene that that i just laid out everything else is going to be jam-packed down the third baseline down the first baseline there's a ton of seats so this atmosphere is going to be absolutely nuts It, it is when it's not tennessee but everybody knows what tennessee baseball is it's again the sellouts are evidence of that so not only will there be a lot of fans in attendance, but they're going to be on edge and they're going to be locked in and, and ready to go. It's it's going to be really fun. So honestly, the atmosphere uh, worries me more than Ole Miss is pitching, which I did not think that I would be saying that. Uh, but just a, a basic general synopsis of, of how I feel about the series. And, and look, I'll go ahead and say it. I think Tennessee makes a statement. This weekend, I think they take two of three from Ole Miss. I, I don't know which game, but I think Tennessee's a, a better team. I, I think they have better depth. I think they have better talent from top to bottom, all positions included, both the lineup, both the pitching. 
Uh, I, I think Tennessee makes a statement and takes two of three. And, and my basic synopsis that I was getting to is that both lineups are two of the best in the country, maybe the two best in the country. I think Tennessee's pitching is more equipped to handle the Ole Miss lineup than Ole Miss's pitching is equipped to to handle Tennessee's lineup. And that's what I think the difference will be. If you're Ole Miss, you know you're just sitting there saying, ooh, two freshmen book in the weekend, Friday night and Sunday night. No one's got to them yet. Maybe we could be the first. So they're probably just sitting there licking their chops uh, with that. But I would agree with you. I think Tennessee's lineup is is good enough to overcome, you know, the you know, some runs that the staff may give up this weekend. It's inevitable, right? You're not you're not gonna look flawless the entire year. This is SEC baseball. So you might take some you, you might, you know, take some some punches of the mouth here, here this weekend, but how are you gonna respond? I think Tennessee's lineup is deep enough. You have so many more options to where you know, say say you need to win a seven to six battle. Say you need to win an eight to you know an eight to seven battle. I think Tennessee's lineup is capable of doing that against Ole Miss's pitching, like you said. So I'm with you, man. I mean, if we're picking the series here, I think Tennessee wins the series. Um, I, I do, um, and I think it would be, it will go a, an awfully long way to saying you know how good is this Tennessee team. And of course, we'll be talking about the same thing next week before Tennessee plays at Vanderbilt. So. Excited to see this weekend series. Um, I think Tennessee can win it at you know two games to one. Not calling for a sweep or anything, but uh, we'll see, man. We will, and I don't. I don't think I'm predicting that with orange colored glasses on because I I did not anticipate making the that pitching, prediction. The pitching to be this bad on paper. Yeah, and, and I don't know that bad's the right word, but just kind of average looking. Uh, those underwhelming yes they are they are but again we're looking at the stat sheet and and we know how the the stats can be misleading at times so but they they are very much average looking i i thought that the the pitching staff would be more be more daunting on paper so even this this morning kind of before i dug in to Ole miss like i i I mean i hadn't made my mind up that i was going to pick Ole miss or anything but uh i I mean i i'm pretty convinced that tennessee is going to take two or three quite honestly and I, i didn't think that i would feel that way maybe I'll, I'll look like a dummy on on sunday when we uh reconvene the last thing to touch on before we get out of here caner is blake tidwell and to be quite honest i don't have a firm update on blake tidwell i, I shared last monday uh on the monday night chat we talked about it on the pod going into south carolina the last pod that we did last week um that, that there was a possibility that blake tidwell could pitch an inning out of the bullpen this weekend at Ole Miss, they were going to see how his work and bullpen and whatnot went in the time in between. And based off of how his bullpen went last week, I, I don't – A, I don't feel as confident in him pitching against Ole Miss as I did last week when I said that. And I that's because I, I don't know that Tennessee feels as convicted in what they saw – from him in that bullpen to to throw him out there this weekend. So uh, right now, I, I don't have a firm update on on Blade Blade Tidwell. Part of that is we're recording on Wednesday. Uh, Thursday would work better for me, knowing that, or or, or Friday morning. Uh, but as I always try to do, I'll keep the good folks updated on the GQ. Uh, but I, I'm not ruling it out. But I, I feel much less confident than I did uh, last week. Uh, based off of some things that I heard. So we'll see. Uh, but 
man, that that'd be really cool if Blake Tidwell could get in and, and throw in inning. But I, I think at at worst case scenario, uh, two three weeks away. Uh, worst case scenario, and and if that ends up playing out, uh, that that's because they're they're truly truly being cautious and and taking their time. And I know it sounds crazy, Kane, but I don't feel like Tennessee needs Blake Tidwell at the moment. So th- there's you don't not need a to ru- you push. don't need to rush him rush him back right. for anything, right? And so. And Tony and, and and Frank Anderson that they would never do that. They're gonna they're gonna be so as they have been, you know, so cautious with every approach with anybody. I mean, look at Drew Gilbert, right? He was on lineup for for two weeks, um, but it helps that there's not a need to where okay, we got to find something for Sunday because we're we're losing every series on Sunday after giving it everything, you know, Saturday, you know, Friday and Saturday. Like that that's not the case, you know, and it's. Tennessee's in a good spot right now. And that doesn't mean that it always will be, you know, cruising like this, but Tennessee's in a decent spot right now. So you can afford to really be cautious, take your time and, and, you know, bring him back when he is 100% ready to roll and uh, begin the slow process of stretching him out. If that's, if that's what they decide to do. We will keep you updated at the generous quarters at VolQuest.com. I will be in Oxford this weekend. Very excited to get on out to Mississippi and, uh, take in what will be a very fun weekend of college baseball. So again, stay locked into the GQ on VolQuest. Kane and I both will have coverage of the weekend. And uh, the, the Sunday game is actually kind of late, later than normal. It's at 2.30 Eastern. And then I'm going to drive three hours to stay with my parents in Huntsville. So I don't know about Sunday pot, but we would 1,000% do one on Monday. Uh, no doubt about that at, at the latest. We'll, we'll see about Sunday night and what time how long the game went, uh, maybe about trying to sit down and do one Sunday night. That, that's TBD, but at worst, we'll have one Monday for you for sure. So, Eric, I hope you have a good weekend, my friend. Hey, man, have fun. Uh, we'll be watching. We'll be following along and looking forward to breaking it all down on Sunday or Monday. He's Eric Kane. I'm Ben McKee. Have a great rest of your week.